Hello, Dennis. Jesse, this is my radio announcer voice. I'm here to do the introduction to this week's podcast. All right, go ahead, do it. I don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> Paragraph something through something of Sacrosanum and Concilium. Something something Sacrosanum and Concilium. That's talking kind of like about the uh, liturgy of the hours as Absolutely. understood by Vatican II. And I hope you enjoyed the last Coffee Talk episode that we did, what we put out yesterday, and the wrap that I did for the Patreon support. We've been getting some good feedback from that, so that's great. And remember, if we get to $1,000 a month, we will make a music video. I haven't told Dennis that yet, um, but we'll make a music video to that to that wrap, and you can go to patreon.com slash liturgy. Without further ado, episode 22 of season three of The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy. I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys. Chris, the king of Munera. Tell me about what are Munera. Ooh, I know what Munera is. Yeah. Uh, priest, prophet, and king. Yes, they're called the offices of Christ, mm-hmm. which is a funny thing because you can make jokes about, you know, I have my home office and my work office and my whatever office in the backseat of the car, whatever it happens to be. But we're talking about the divine office. Why is it called an office, Chris? Because it's a work? Office. Is it because it's a work? I don't know. I'm asking you. Oh. You're asking me. With, you're answering me with a question. Yeah, I think that must be. That, that's a good question. Isn't an office sure like a position, like your office? It's a duty and a responsibility that gets to be executed, right? So Christ has the office to praise the Father, right? To offer himself, to offer us. That would be his priestly office. So it's a responsibility, it's a duty, it's a privilege, it's the end for which you're made. It's a lot of things in that way. So you hold the office of the presidency or you hold the office of whatever it happens to be. The exalted office of academic director but it's about the what the institute it's about what the task is required to do such thing not the person doing it it's the well, well the holder the, of the, the officer office. yeah it's the officer right. oh yeah so um Hello, what's officer? the divine office well that's the in a sense christ's job not just his task but his, his uh telos his end is what he's made for which is to be a person of the trinity that praises other persons of the trinity and brings us into that dialogue with the trinity so this section, chapter four, in Sacrosanct and Concilium, paragraph 83. Oh, we're there already? Jonathan Johnson. Yeah. That's nice. Starts out by saying, Christ Jesus, the high priest of the new and eternal covenant, taking human nature, cool stuff to follow, introduced into this earthly exile, that hymn which is sung throughout the halls of heaven. What's a high priest, Chris? Or Jesse, or Jesse, or Chris? Is a better is a like a priest who's like a better priest than like a low priest. He's like, oh, totally, I'm, I'm a priest. Dude. <laughs> Too much incense. Nice. <laughs> Chris is having none of that. None of that. <laughs> the high priest was the sort of the head of the body of priests in the Jewish temple uh, tradition. The one who went into the holy of holies, so the little room in the back of the temple that represented heaven. Only the high priest went in there, and so went into the presence of God in that in that symbolic sense, I guess. And so Christ is the true high priest of the new covenant. He really does go into the presence of God and takes us with him. And so when it says he took on human nature, that meant that human nature went into the presence of God too, which is kind of amazing thing, right? Our lowly human Whoa, nature that blew my mind right there. exalted into the presence of that's God. That's awesome. And therefore, this earthly exile that's us separated from God, 
uh, nonetheless, we get to sing the hymn that is sung in the halls of heaven. So Christ brought humanity into the Trinity, but it also brings the Trinity into humanity, right, Chris? Because God became man so that... Man can become God. Yeah, and it kind of works the other way around too, right? We become God, and therefore godly things come into our uh, very realm of existence. Well, I think that was good for this episode. I, that's a lot for me to think of. Oh, wait, we have more. We have so much more, oh my right? gosh. Vatican II, full of theological richness. So uh, it keeps going. He joins the entire community of mankind to himself. All right, this is what the high priest did, right? He took all the prayers and petitions of Israel into the Holy of Holies to God. And so Christ does this. He brings humanity into himself, associating it with his own singing of this canticle of divine praise. So we could just walk around singing la, la, la all to ourselves. You know, nothing would happen. But if you are united to the voice of Christ, then your la, la, la is filtered through the neck and the mouth of Christ, who then sings it in perfect union of love and the Holy Spirit to God mm. the Father. We've talked about this on different occasions, that the Trinity is this, when it talks about this hymn which is sung throughout all the ages in the halls in, in heaven, is that you have the Trinity, you've got, you've got the Word, the Logos, and then in combination with the Ruah or the Spirit or the breath, this combines into this uh, heavenly hymn of praise, this canticle of divine praise which is sung throughout all the ages in the hall of heaven. So this is what, as you're saying, you know, mm-hmm. what, what uh, Son and Spirit do. They sing this loving canticle to uh, God. With uh, the fall, we decided we weren't going to sing that any longer. But Jesus reintroduces that hymn of Canticle of Divine Praise. And now says, I'm going to give you another chance to join and let your lungs be filled with the Ruah of the Spirit. And I'll even yes. give you the right words to say. And you can join us in singing this canticle to God the Father. We get recapitulated. Right, Chris? Well, after yeah, decapitating, I mean, we, we yeah, get our well, head put true. back on? Exactly. We get a new head. Wait, that's what it means? Recaput, caput. Mm. We get a new head. The head nice. is Christ. And that Christ is speaking to God the Father. And as body, as members of that body, we get joined to that head, even when our own head doesn't do the right thing. But this song, what I think is interesting, this uh, number 83, this first uh, paragraph, is that this song is called a priestly song. It's not just you know any type of song. So in the next paragraph, he continues this priestly work through the agency of his church. And so Jesus doesn't just show up to be the, the high priest, but he's, uh, you know, he's kind of the singing priest. Uh, that's how he does his work. So by he pulls out a guitar from behind the pulpit. And <laughs> Father, bring. Yeah, not quite. <laughs> this one goes out to my man, the Holy Spirit. Yeah. <laughs> but let's look at that phrase, though. He can... Uh, his priestly work continues through the agency of his church. That's a very important thing. You know, people often think of the church and its legal or juridical aspects, hierarchically arranged, and who's got the power and authority, and who can consecrate, and who can't, and who does this and that. But the larger tradition says Christ's mystical body, the church, continues his mission of sanctification, governing, and teaching. Right? He's not literally present in the body that he was here on earth with before the ascension. But something has to continue that work way more than he could as sort of one person. And so the church as the mystical body does all this stuff. And one of the things that the the body does, Chris, is what, according to this paragraph 83? Well, she continues uh, Christ's priestly work. And what a priest does is to mediate, is to go between, is to uh, kind of step between heaven and earth. And in fact, when it says the the church continues, uh, which ceaselessly ceaselessly engaged in praising the Lord and interceding for the salvation of the world. Yeah, so I, I love all of this. Christ does. This is great. This is what a priest does, right? Pleads and praises. And how are we going to do that ple- pleading and praising that Christ is doing? We're going to do it on earth as and the church. I never thought about us continuing 
his priestly mission. Like, I, I know, I know that like that's a thing, and I've heard it all the time. But, but being being commissioned to to continue the priestly mission, where like Christ did that for us and said, okay, now now you know how to do it, so keep doing it, mm-hmm. and I'll like, send the Holy Spirit to help you. That's that is really amazing. Well, again, he's we quit before he's the officer, and we are like his. Uh, we are deputed. Uh, Deputy, deputies yeah. to do. I knew that. But we don't. We we Barney-fife. on our own. We can't do it. So we carry on what he uh, has been doing. So, so the the priest he's interceding on behalf of the world and offering from the world to God praise and adoration. And now in song, this is the Laudis Canticum, the the hymn of praise. And the principal way is through the Eucharist, but the Vatican II says there are other forms as well. And the number one of those other forms is what we call the Divine Office. Yeah which is a series of hymns, prayers, and intercessions called morning prayer, evening prayer, midday prayer, other things. Um, but it's basically that same priestly work of, of Christ's voice brought to earth. Chris is looking pensive over there. No, no, no. I'm trying to, trying now, to marshal I, I, my thoughts. I do have a question about mm-hmm. this. So are, there's a couple variations on the divine office. You know, at some point there's like middle of the night prayer. Like, okay, right? yeah. So, so th- this is the, the theology that the... Council is some the sacrosanctum was concilium has summarized is that uh, the divine office is this work of priestly intercession of Jesus now carried out by his church and, and the people where praises go from earth to heaven and blessings come from heaven to earth and it's going to take the form of song canticle uh, and it's going to be a sacramental participation of this trinitarian canticle uh, and it's going to take place at different hours. And so this is called the divine office. Sometimes it's called uh, the breviary. Sometimes it's called the liturgy of the hours. Okay. So, but all those things are the same. They're all the same. Okay, thing. got it. Okay. So this uh, this the the meter, right? Every song has a meter. Well, the meter. Well, that's the metric system, the right? Metric. Okay, got it. Okay. So the meter of this hymn is every three hours, right? And so traditionally. There, well, traditionally, there were, as this kind of came into existence, there were praying two hours a day, or three hours a day, or four hours a day, five, six, seven, eight hours a day. Um, at the time of the council, there were eight, uh, I guess they would call them canonical hours. Okay, so punctuated every three hours, more or less, you know, midnight, 3 a.m., 6 a.m., 9 a.m., etc. The, the the church would come together in its community, or, or people would individually, to pray. The, the, this is mostly composed of the psalms, so kind of the text of this canticle of divine praise is the psalms. The meter is this kind of sanctification of time about every three hours, and they would praise God and intercede on behalf of the world. This is the, the priestly song of Jesus Christ continuing to be sung uh, in the world. And of course, Christ does this constantly and eternally, right? Pray without ceasing. For us human beings, it's a little hard to pray without ceasing because we have to sleep and eat and work and all of that. But the idea was right out of the Acts of the Apostles that they went to the temple at certain times, certain prayers at the temple were said at certain times of day. So it just grows into this Christian understanding of when you do what you do. Yeah, Praising well, God. even there's Old Testament foreshadows about uh, Daniel going to his room three times a day, uh, you know, to, to pray. Or some of the Psalms speak of uh, night watches, which were like three-hour intervals of uh, the sentry duties would, would change every three hours. And so in the Psalms, um, well, and even Moses, so on, uh, since we're talking about night prayer, you know, the, the reading for night prayer on, I guess it's Saturdays. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and strength. Take to heart these words which I enjoin on you today. Drill them into your children. Speak of them when you get up and when you go to sleep. Okay? And so when in the temple did, were they to burn incense every day, in the morning and in the evening, when were they supposed to make offerings of, uh, I think, lambs every day? in the morning and in the evening. And so even in the Old Testament, you have these two kind of key or cardinal or principal hours, morning and evening, that became kind of pivot points of the whole day. And what do we offer instead of incense and lambs? The sacrifice of praise, right? Christ's own perfect praise to the Father at these key element, key hours, right? Morning prayer. Right, so eventually this, this will grow in the Christian tradition to you know, the, kind of the two key hours of the office of these eight that we've talked about, morning prayer and evening prayer, are the principal hours you know, with roots extending all the way back into the Old Covenant about when to praise God. Okay. Yeah, then, Just put his finger up like, well, as do you wait. <laughs> wait, and another thing. And <laughs> I, I've heard you talk about this also kind of revolving around Christ's passion too. Right. So, yeah. So when we when you read the narratives of the crucifixion of uh, of Christ, the you know across the different accounts, it's interesting that the details that they decide to put in about when they took Jesus. Uh, I don't. I'm not going to remember what all these are. Is you know uh, to Caiaphas. It was the, the third hour. It was the, the third hour. hour, right? Yeah. And so they add all these details in about the third hour, and then the sixth hour, and then they crucify him at nine a.m., and then at noon darkness covered the land, and then he died at three p.m. And so what is uh, being described around the uh, crucifixion of Christ is in fact what we are doing, you know, to you know all these thousands of years I love later. It. I love the imagery. That, yeah, that kind of the. Um, the, the most substantial representation and manifestation of the cross is the Mass. And then what the church does is kind of surrounding that at every three-hour intervals, she's going to continue that hymn of praise to extend that. Right. So rather than just letting us make up whatever we want, although that's fine to pray as you want, there's a sort of guided set of books called the Liturgy of the Hours. Called the Liturgy of the Hours. Do certain things at certain times of the day. It sort of gives us... Uh, an organized plan for that. And, you know, 84, in paragraph 84, says, uh, the tradition going back to early Christian times, the divine office is arranged in the whole course of the day and night is made holy by praises of God. So here's back to our kind of sacramentals thinking, right? The whole day and night can be made holy by being filled with the praise of God. So uh, there's some high theology here in 84, right? So that when this wonderful song of praise is worthily rendered by priests and others who are deputed for this purpose by church ordinance, or by the faithful praying together with the priest in an approved form, so that you know regular old lay people can do this too. It is truly the voice of the bride addressing her bridegroom. It is the very prayer of Christ himself, together with his body, addressed to the Father. Right, that's the canticle of divine praise that he's reintroduced for us. So now, hey, hey everybody, you can sing this with me. We're kind of like the background voices. <laughs> and like a Pink Floyd song. That's like when you go to a concert and they're that's like, right. Let me hear you all. That's right. Jesus is the is the principal singer. He's the soloist of uh, creation. Sing so it with I, me, everybody. Yeah, and we get to be kind of the supporting voices in this hymn of praise uh, to God the Father. That's what the Liturgy of the Hours is. Now, at this time, there would have been some claims that there were abuses of this, that most people saw it as a sort of duty. Oh, I have to do morning prayer, evening prayer, midday prayer. I have to stop what I'm doing. And even today, many priests are like, oh, morning was so busy. I had a funeral. I had to rush to the hospital. I had to do X, Y, and Z. And then this happened, and I didn't say morning prayer, and it's 
noon already or at the end of the day they look back and they're like oh i didn't do morning prayer yet and they have to do morning midday evening and night prayer all before bed <laughs> sometimes that just happens but in other situations the hours were moved to the wrong hours so people would do night prayer in the afternoon just to get it done or they'd crush everything together and the idea of sanctifying the hours of the day became get this thing that i agreed to do over with so why does it lead into 85 there chris oh, it doesn't it does look what it says hence all who render this service are not only fulfilling a duty although oh, they, they are, are. <laughs> you uh, guys. we are we are one brain one brain <laughs> but are also sharing in the greatest honor of christ's spouse for by offering these praises to god they are standing before god's throne in the name of the church their mother and that holy ain't nothing. i won't say cow because no pressure no cow, pressure at all when you do this you are the spouse offering the praises to god standing before god's throne in the name of the church Wow, it's not just duty, it's opportunity, opportunity, opportunity. It is uh, the, the um, I think part of, you know, to, to your point before, you know, what they were dealing with is uh, how do you, how is the office arranged so that it is suitable for use, so that not only lay people, but secular or diocesan clergy, as well as monks and friars, how can each of them actively participate in the rite, which is called the Liturgy of the Hours, and therefore do these things, stand before the throne right. of God. And monks have lots of time because their day is scheduled around morning prayer, evening prayer, midday prayer, mid-afternoon prayer, evening prayer, night prayer, right? That's what they are here for, among other things, personal sanctification. But primarily, they're people drawn out of the world and supported by the world, right? Monks have to be supported by people who make money so that they can do this constant sort of prayer. Not every diocesan priest has that amount of free time. This is, this is what you're getting at, I think, Chris. So it talks about simplifying the rites so that, you know, what came from the monastic tradition might be a little shorter for diocesan priests or even shorter for lay people who have duties in the world and crying babies and diapers to change and up in the middle of the night, that kind of thing. I don't know what you're talking about. I know you don't. <laughs> <laughs> Next time you're up at three in the morning, just rip out uh, the midnight office or oh vigil or something. and. See if you can do that while you've got a baby. That will get my kids arm. to sleep. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah. oh, go ahead, Chris. No, well, I was thinking that, uh, if I can remember this far back to my uh, class time here. <clears throat> if I know anything were, about Chris, he's about to directly no, quote something. No, I'm not going to quote It's going to be word I'm for not word. I'm going to quote anything. Oh, okay. Uh, they talk about there, there used to be two models, like you've ever heard this, the cathedral model and the monastic and model. The monastic model. Right. So the tradition has both of these going all the way back to the patristic time. And I think the cathedral model was in, the, uh, in an urban setting around the cathedral. It was um, more popular. I yeah, guess. more popular. It, it uh, was on, say, like a, the Lord's Day or certain celebrations. Um, and so it was... Uh, you want to say a lot of the psalms and the readings were really tailored for that type of celebration and bring the people together whereas the monastic uh model was Longer. much more regulated yeah it was uh, uh, it's the rule of saint benedict in uh pray slowly uh, in and 500s yeah. right and you could see he 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 has this whole chart of how he's going to lay out how the monks are going to pray every single one of the psalms over the course of the week and while some of them are kind of tied to particular hours or occasions often it's just psalm 8 psalm 9 psalm 10 psalm 11 psalm, you know, etc because they were they were going to get through to, you know to dennis's point that's that's what their vocation mm -hmm. was is to is to pray at these uh, at these hours uh every three hours versus this cathedral model which was kind of more special occasions and more popular right or you might see the reader in a monastic setting will just stand up from his 
his choir stall and read from there because it's from the community where in the cathedral model they'll might be vested or they'll go up to the ambo mm-hmm. and proclaim the reading from there um, or in the the public yeah. cathedral model so you see that variation yeah so there really were a lot of kind of well these were the the, the principal strands or threads that were coming uh, down to the tradition right but check out 88 there it says because the purpose of the office is to sanctify the day and not just get this thing over with that you promised to do it says the traditional sequence of the hours is to be restored so that as far as possible they may once again genuine be genuinely related to the time of day at which they are prayed sounds like a no-brainer in a way to do morning prayer in the morning evening prayer in the evening and midday prayer in midday but people were being people over the years, things got moved, not just by accident because the priest had a busy day, but by convention and, and association. And so the hour that was supposed to be for a certain time of day sort of perpetually moved to the wrong time of day. Yeah, I uh, I, mean, I had only read that. And I, somebody was telling me, was, was it Cardinal Richelieu? Was he in the, in the, the Three Musketeers? Who paid somebody to uh, do it <laughs> Is that me? what he did? I don't know. But uh, this, I was in class one day, and we were talking about this in this uh, this. This brother Jim, we'll call him because that was his name. He would talk about being a younger monk, and he would say, "Yeah, if we went on a field trip this day, it would be, you know, we'd get up and we'd pray, you know, morning through evening prayer, and then we'd then we'd leave on our trip and have the day free." Oh, oh, man, it's like uh, so. Yeah, there was the. I mean, the reason they're saying this in number eighty-eight is because it wasn't happening, and so the this kind of if the if. The meter was all off, right? It was some bizarre 913, you know, jazz meter that, you know, was very different. <laughs> Too much syncopation going on. So they wanted to restore the hymn so that it actually sanctified the day, interceded for the world, and praise God at this regular interval. So, th- so it's fair to say at this time before the council, there was some chaos in regard to the divine office, and they wanted to kind of rein that in a bit? Well, it, it was, I don't know, chaos. Yeah, maybe chaos, but it, was, it wasn't being was as... Was it uniformed? Well, it probably wasn't any. It wasn't being... A, if the purpose of the office is to, is to regularly worship and adore God and intercede for the world, and it wasn't doing that, they wanted to adjust it so that it, 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 that would actually happen, that people could receive the, the, the graces and the world could be prayed for in a regular, uh, regular interval because that That makes sense, it. yeah. There was... Okay, so the, the, there's eight hours at this time, right? Uh, do you remember what, what are that? There's prime was the first prime one, which no, was midnight, right? No, no, no. A prime is uh, six a.m. Ah, oh, that's prime. right. Prime, and then terce is right. the third hour, nine a.m. Sext, sext, sext is the sixth hour. hour. Non, non. You have uh, the ninth vespers, hour. right? Evening prayer. You have Compline, and you have Matins, which I guess would be oh, midnight. Oh, Matins, that's the one I And then Lauds, I think, was uh, like the 3 a.m. prayer. Okay, so I think Prime is actually a little bit later addition in the tradition. I read one, one of the church fathers saying that uh, the, they wanted to keep the lazy monks from going back to bed after 3 a.m. Lauds. You know, so they had to come up with another to hour. So they, anyway, so there, there were eight hours at the time. I don't know if you ever came across this uh, article in Orate Fratres, Dennis. This was a thing that Virgil Michael and the Orates, Frat, Orate Fratres uh, people suggested. So Virgil Michael's uh, kind of the father of the American liturgical movement, and he started uh, this publication in, was it 23, 24, uh, in Collegeville. And they suggested at one point what they were calling a League of the Divine Office. Mm. And so you would get eight late... Sounds like a Marvel comic book yeah, group. Justice oh, League. Yeah, Only Justice it's more League. powerful. Yeah. And, uh, okay. So you'd get eight, uh, you'd get eight laypersons, okay, and you would assign one of them to one of those hours. And for 
one week's time, oh, Jesse like would pray, you know, prime, for example, and I would play, pray, you know, mid-morning prayer, etc. And then uh, after one week, everybody would take the next hour. Ooh. So this kind I of, love this. Oh, I think it's a fantastic That's amazing. Idea. It is. It is. I mean, we should this do was, this, Chris. I mean. This was the, uh, this was, I mean, there were some really, well, this speaks to also, you know, the, 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 the liturgical movement of the 20th century was huge on the divine office. I mean, mm-hmm. it was a key element to what they thought was, uh, you know, sanctifying the world and reforming the liturgy. Right. They called it mass during the day. Often, All right, okay. The, extending the graces yeah. of the mass out across I mean, the hours of the day. Who would know this today? I don't know. Well, I don't know. <laughs> it's, so, it's not, it, it, this doesn't seem to have taken off like uh, liturgical movement figures and the fathers wanted. I don't know how many lay people are praying the liturgy of the hours uh, anymore. But if you are, please know that it isn't just a duty, but you're, imagine yourself being joined to the prayer praising the Father. It's Christ's own voice with the song in heaven. And if you aren't, and uh, let us know. Go to uh, MundelineSalter.com. Oh, yeah. About uh, shame, shameless plug for the Mundelein Psalter, chanted morning prayer and evening prayer. Exactly. So, you know, what Vatican II says here, put the hours, the right hour at the right time of day. Then it gives some very practical stuff that Vespers and uh, Lauds should be the primary hours. They're like kind of, they call them the hinge hours. Compline, which is night prayer, it says should be drawn up so that it's a prayer about the end of day, which is kind of funny to think that you have to say that, but it makes sense. So in other words, make the reality, the ontological reality of each one be uh, what it's supposed to be. And therefore, do it what? Why are you making, no, I'm sorry. Are you making I was, weird moves at me? You're pointing I made at, an awkward gesture. Don't paint, it didn't mean anything. Point I just, your LaCroix at me. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, and so again, you know, the, most of this is then very specific stuff about do this, do that, don't do this. But one of the things that it does that's pretty important, I think, is the Office of Readings, which are these, you know, pious readings for uh, the office. Like, you know, they're not scriptural always, but some of them come from other places. And I think up to this time, many of them were largely devotional. They might have been post-Trent, kind of highly emotional um, exhortations toward uh, devotion. But here it says they should now come from the fathers and doctors. What are we talking about, Chris? Fathers and doctors. Uh, well, mostly from the patristic period, which is up to the 7th or 8th century, I right. suppose. Or the doctors, the later doctors, who yeah. are nonetheless mm-hmm. the serious academics, so not kind of cute little pious stories or stories of, of unverifiable authenticity. Um, St. Christopher. Yeah, so it says they should accord with the facts of history in <laughs> the saints and the martyrdoms. So, you know, it's a cleanup act, right? It's a spring cleaning for many centuries of, uh, of liturgy. Liturgical cobwebs. Yeah, and the, the hymns are restored to their original form. Anything that smacks of mythology or ill accords with Christian piety is to be removed. That sounds like a reasonable thing. <laughs> and this is where hymnody, this is the original liturgy for metrical hymnody is uh, in the Liturgy of the Hours and not uh, necessarily in the Mass. And to have morning songs that are about the morning and evening songs that are about the evening and yeah. nighttime songs that are about the night. How about that? Yeah. A couple more, more things, though, right? As they, uh, they ended up suppressing, uh, what does it say there? Prime. Prime is out. So you went from eight hours to seven. So now that is not seven. Optimus Prime anymore. Yeah, Optimus Prime. <laughs> That's right. So now only uh, seven hours. And the key thing was is they took the 150 Psalms, which at this point had been prayed in the in the, over the course of a week, and they spread it over the course of four weeks. When I get about that? halfway through Prime, it's like, that's the Prime Meridian, so... Just wait sitting on <laughs> yeah, that one. Take that one out. Can you imagine anyway, four I bought the I bought the, one? the Liturgy of the Hours online, uh, Amazon Prime. <laughs> I got more. It's you been suppressed, more? Jesse. You can't you buy more? it. Yeah, you, were, you were suppressed. <laughs> 
Can you imagine if you're a Daston priest and you're busy and you're supposed to be singing or saying as many psalms every day as a monk whose job is to do this? So there's some practical reality here. They see that most priests are busy, they're in the city, and they weren't like country priests like they were in the old days. They have lots to do, and so they're making this kind of updating and uh, changing so that it can be more uh, fully lived and more fully expressed. Maybe one more point. One more point. About more delay scores. recitation. Pastors of souls should see to it, this is paragraph 100, that the chief hours, especially vespers, are celebrated in common in church on Sundays and on more solemn feasts. So, ideally, hey, pastors, <laughs> are you having vespers and lauds in your parish? And Sunday? if you did, would anybody come? Mm-hmm. Right. So this at least was uh, the intention. So the um, you know lots of liturgical rites and things are still are still trying to you know, be faithful to the spirit and the text of the council and the hermeneutic of continuity and modern needs. But there's still a lot more that needs to to be done. You know, there's one last thing, Jesse and Chris. All right, what is it? It says in 99. Oh, I'm sorry. We're, uh, no, we're not out of time. This, oh. We have to do this. It is moreover fitting that the office, both in choir and in common, be sung when this is possible. That it's in the nature of the liturgy oh. hours to be sung, not just recited murmur, 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 murmur. All right, so if, How come? If the reality is a, the canticle of praise... So you're then saying should, then it should be a canticle. It should be sacramentalized by actually singing. Just like you were that? saying, if the reality is that this should be happening throughout the day periodically, then we should be doing it. Yeah. Right. And it's a lot of work to sing. And sometimes you can't do every one of the offices singing because just for time or practicality. But the kind of oh, we don't want to bother. We, we're not monks. And no, this is not about monks. This is about people in choir who are in groups like seminaries. Uh, you could say cathedral chapters, things like that, or, you know, gatherings of priests at priest events, just to murmur it through, muddle through, because it's too much work to sing. Well, okay, there's a minimum there, but it's fitting by the nature of the thing to sing it because you're, you're signifying the voice of, of Christ's body singing to the Father in do you, love. Do you know the most popular time of day to pray? Oh, I'm prepared Pr- for Prime this. time. Prime. Prime is suppressed, <laughs> Jesse. There is no prime anymore. <laughs> I told you I had more. All right. Uh, for more Pride and Ponds, follow our other podcast. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you want to answer a question, guys? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can we sing the answer? Is it more suitable to sing the answer to the question? Uh, sure. Okay, got it. But Chris? we got two. We'll do one me, me, of me, just me, a primer. Me, the other me, one me, we'll me, do. Me, 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 me. I bet you thought you were going to listen to a Bishop Barron ad or, or like time. a Scott Hahn ad. Not this time. No, it's a different ad. Have you ever wished, Jesse, that you could take courses with the content of the Liturgy Guys and the Liturgical Institute in the very comfort of your own home? I, I have not, but that's because I work here. But oh, darn I, it. I can imagine what it would be like if I did. Well, for those who do, we now have online courses we could call personal enrichment, continuing education on various topics. Four of them are come I'll be up there soon. Two are there right now. Two there now. And by March 19th, there will be three more. So five total. Uh, lots of Dennis and Chris goodness. So you can go to www.liturgy.online. Three with me. Ha ha ha. Only two is Chris. So it's a little competition. Please register and watch. Mostly for, for Dennis's For classes. my classes. We have a big thermometer on the wall and I want Chris to lose. So please go watch Sacramental Aesthetics, right? Study of Beauty in the Liturgy. One's on music documents in the Liturgy. And then the next one will be on active participation and what Vatican II really meant by that term. And Chris, did you want to add anything? Nope. He wants to know where they go to uh, find these online. www.liturgy.online. Excellent. Mail call! Mail call! Aww.
Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? All right, this question is from Father Kevin. Can we say his last name? Sure. Kevin Beaujolais. Beaujolais, early wine. Yes. Kevin Early Wine was a seminarian here, now a priest of somewhere, I forget where, Iowa, right? Dubuque. Dubuque. Mm-hmm. And uh, Father Martis, who was a great Francophile, realized that the Beaujolais was the early wine in France, the first wine of the season. So early wine and Beaujolais were sort of a pun there. So Father Kevin. All right. Father Hello. Kevin says, in attempting to observe the idea of, quote unquote, progressive solemnity, I sometimes get tripped up with Lent. From my understanding, it is a higher, more solemn season than ordinary time. However, it is also a penitential season, so we don't sing the Gloria or Alleluia. So since it is higher season than ordinary time, should the priest sing slash chant more parts of the Mass than he might in ordinary time? Or since it is a penitential season, should we sing less? Thanks. Wow, Chris. This is a good question. This is if he sings poorly, he should sing more or less. More or less. Well, I don't know what you're going to say. This is what I would say. The letter, the liturgy is a sung prayer, right? The mass is a sung prayer. And to say that we don't sing it most of the time, so if we do sing it, we're making it fancy is kind of a backward thing to say why are we doing it deficiently most of the time? So within the category of sung prayer, then you can have sort of high singing, complex singing, or simple singing. So singing more or less during Lent is a bit of a false question. This question is, is it more sung, or is that what singing is done either simpler or more complex? Is that a good start, Chris? I think so, and you could, you could probably add, but he, now he, this is a little bit different question. It does say somewhere in the general instruction about musical accompaniment during Lent only uh, to be used to support the singing, but not if it's instruments would not be played on, on their own. Now, uh, the organ accompaniment never uh, accompanies the priest singing, as far as I can tell, in any parts of the, the Mass. So that's not quite apples to apples. But, um, yeah, I think uh, uh, the complexity, the beauty um, of, the, of the singing could change. But I think the amount, if you want to put it that way, should not be decreased uh, to signify more penitential uh, character. And of course, Sunday is Lent or not Lent, Chris? Even during Lent. Yes. <laughs> Sunday is both Lent, but Dep- also... Depends who you ask. It is relentless. A solemnity, right? So the question is, should Sunday have a penitential, simpler character even during Lent? Well, it, uh, it can to a certain degree, but I don't think its penitential, simpler character should be expressed by the amount of singing. But you might sing a simpler mass setting, for instance. Sure. Oftentimes exactly. people sing chant during Lent, often in Latin, and that's kind of like the penitential Latin chant is our penance. <laughs> Actually, that's the chant an, is the normative thing. Oh, yeah. man. That's, that's an, funny. Well, it's an, infor- it's an unfortunate association. I, when, when I've tried it, I, when we've done it in Lent and carried it through Easter, kept the, the same uh, Latin chant settings. And then Latin, the chant that. and Easter become the same. <laughs> you know, there's normal things like, you know, again, I'm the guy without a spouse, but you know, if you were going to be loving toward your wife every day and bring her, you know, some little gift, maybe during Lent, you'd bring her a smaller gift, but just saying, well, it's Lent, we don't bring any gift anymore. It's kind of missing the point of a festive celebration and a loving relationship between God and creator. It's more like a palate cleanser. You know, how can we enjoy the high feasts if we have high feasts every day, right? So we have this quieter season that prepares us for this great fullness of Easter. Mm -hmm. If you had Easter every day, Easter would just be another day. So there's preparation. So back to the nature of the mass itself, it's always the wedding feast of the lamb. It's always a celebration of the eschatological glory, even during Lent. But the church says, just scale it back some so that you know you're 
waiting for some great explosion of grace at the resurrection. Well, even think this, this might uh, help answer the question. Look in the Missal on, say, Good Friday, loaded with music, absolutely filled with pre-singing parts, whether it's the, the universal prayer or the unveiling of the cross, right? Uh, so, no. But that's I, its own liturgical season, right? Oh, well, it Jesse is. It's so very smart. Good. The Triduum is a liturgical season. But the reason I picked Good Friday, right, is that is especially associated with the penitential mm-hmm. uh, suffering and death Pascal of Christ. Mission, yeah. And if, yeah, I mean, so that's kind of the, you know, if you're singing, if, if the church is asking the priest to sing on Good Friday, to, to an even greater degree than he would mm-hmm. otherwise, I think uh, uh, all of Lent should resound with uh, singing. That's uh, a good point. Priest. Yeah. I like it. Mm-hmm. All right, Father Kevin, it was good to hear from See you. See you Hope you're well. And if you have a question for us, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or tweet us at liturgyguys. Chris, what's your Twitter handle? That's right, oh, you don't I have one. It. Thank you, and God bless. The Liturgy Guys is produced by the Liturgical Institute. If you like what you've heard today, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And be sure to check out liturgicalinstitute.org to discover more about our degree programs, public events, and publications. Refresh your soul and renew the church at what Bishop Robert Barron calls one of the very best places in the country to receive formation in the Catholic liturgical tradition. Now that's a podcast.